We are continuing our What is a Healthy Church Member Sunday School class. Can anyone, can anyone remember what last week's topic was? A healthy church member is... Well, close. Expositional. Expositional what? Listener. Listener. Yeah. So a healthy, uh, Josh is back there pointing his ears. Uh, a healthy church member is an expositional listener. What was kind of, just kind of some big takeaways from that? Listening with humility. Listening with humility. Spending time and, and why is that important? So you can know if what the pastor's saying is foundation, its foundation is in scripture. Yeah. And we talked about the Bereans last week. The importance have they received the word eagerly, kind of with excitement, and yet and they and they still sought out the scriptures to make sure that to see that those things were so. And there's kind of joy on both ends. Anything else? Okay. Well, this morning we're looking at the next uh, part of what is a healthy church member. And just as a way of reminder, it's based off this, we're kind of using this little booklet as a framework for our study, uh, walking through each chapter. Uh, it's a book that we did in our home fellowship groups years ago. Uh, what is a healthy church member? And this week, we're looking at a healthy church member is a biblical theologian. Now, before we dig into this too much, I can imagine that possibly coming to a class called What is a Healthy Church Member? And you start off kind of with these kind of bigger doctrinal theological things. Maybe some people might hear that and be like, wait, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why? Why are we, you know, doesn't doctrine divide? Why are we getting into these heavy things? Shouldn't this be about loving and serving one another? So why is it, why is it we start off with these things like being an expositional listener, how we, how we listen to uh, sermons, how we listen to what the preacher is, is preaching from God's word? What is it, topics like a biblical theologian? Why do we start with those things? Because um, to build on anything, any organizational thing, whether it's government or churches, or even if you've got a club or anything, you need to have a foundation uh, of a body of truths or laws or something by which you're going to build on and hold the tribune one to in order to distinguish you different, distinguish your country, your club, your church, or whatever uh, from any other organization. And so these are the things that you adhere to uh, to give you a foundation in which to build up. Otherwise, you're just, everyone's just kind of doing whatever they want to do. So it helps build a foundation, it helps give definition. <clears throat> I would say also that, you know, you could look at some of these subjects we'll look at and say, yeah, I, yep, I'm going to do that. I'll commit myself, you know, I'm going to try hard to act that way, to be that way, but what we were called to doesn't come from, our, from us and from our own sort of capabilities. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's based in, it's based in faith, which is a gift to us, not something we're coming up with. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the Bible and the truth coming from the Bible into us that's what reinforces and grows our faith. That's, that's the key source of that power in the Holy Spirit in us to do whatever it is God calls us to do. Yeah. So I think before we can do anything useful, we, we have to hear God's voice and trust God. Yeah. Yeah, we need we need to know him. Uh, this is you think of just the church and the makeup of the church and how you know people from all sorts of different walks of life, different demographics, and yet God's brought us together, and the one thing that unites us is Christ. 
And, but if that's the one thing that unites us, then that's the one person that we really need to know. He, he's that bond that, that brings us together. Uh, this is, you know, we think it's hard these days. You think of the early church where you know, Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, you know, they, you have in one congregation people who would never, never have set foot in one another's homes. Who would never, never give ear to listen, the master listening to the slave. And yet it, all of those are broken down. And, we, and God brings us together as a, as a body. Proverbs opens up these familiar words. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here's the key to, to all of Proverbs and really all, all of our life, all of the word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We, we need to know our God. We need to know him. And it's it's through knowing him that we will be able to better love and serve one another. So that's kind of why we begin with uh, these, these kind of bigger theological topics. I just want to read the, very, the introduction to this chapter because it touches on this point. He starts off by saying, Ignorance of God. Ignorance both of his ways and of the practice of communion with him lies at the root of the church's weakness today. That's how J.I. Packer began the 1973 preface to his classic volume, Knowing God. Packer reasoned that one trend producing such ignorance of God and weakness in the church was that Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit. The spirit, that is, that spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room for only small thoughts of God. Sadly, Packer's observation rings true more than three decades later. Ignorance of the ways of God and of communion with him is rampant in too many instances. Members of Christian churches continue to think small thoughts of God and great thoughts of man. This state of affairs reveals that too many Christians have neglected their first great calling to know their God. Every Christian is meant to be a theologian in the best and most intimate sense of the word. Of the word. If churches are to pro, uh, prosper in health, church members must be committed to being biblical theologians in whatever, in whatever capacity they can. This is the second mark of a healthy church member. We need to know our God. It's, it's, it's vitally important that we know him. And the way that we know him is through his word. This is how he has revealed himself to us, uh, through his word. So, first off, just kind of, there, there's some kind of technical sense of what it means, of what like biblical theology is. But just to kind of give a rough definition of a bibl- being a biblical theologian is, I, I wrote down, bi- being a biblical theologian means your knowledge of God is informed by his revelation of himself in the whole of Scripture. So a biblical theologian means your knowledge of God is informed by his revelation of himself in the whole of Scripture. That whole of Scripture is kind of a, an important part to this whole lesson, what the author is getting to about being a biblical theologian. As R.C. Sproul said, we are all theologians. We are, you know, sometimes we think, well, those are only seminary professors and things like that. No, we're all theologians. We all have an, an idea, of thoughts about God. Now, Sproul finished up that uh, comment by saying, some of us are really bad theologians. <laughs> uh, our theology isn't that great. And that's why we, we need to be informed by God's word about who he is. Another uh, A.W. Tozer quote that you've probably heard before, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. This is one of those things where, you know, we have probably all of us have favorite passages. Uh, there may be different seasons in life where we find like, man, I want to go back to this certain chapter, this book, this verse, because 
man, that it thrills my soul. It's an encouragement to me. Um, there's certain passages we spend more time in than others, and that's that's normal. Some of my reading right now has me going through First uh, and Second Kings, and there's parts <coughs> of that, as my wife says, like, you know, uh, this the repetition of things. I'm I'm probably gonna you know I, there's certain passages like Ephesians one that I'll probably be in a lot more than I am you know, going back to first and second Kings. However, I will say this, it's in those books of history that, you know, one of the most, um, one of the most influential times in my life where God was sanctifying me through his word happened when I was reading in first uh, and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. As doing my, my, as a teenager doing my normal kind of Bible reading, going through the Bible, and I came to the story of Manasseh and his great sin and his repentance. And that just had such a huge impact on my life. Um, it's, it's such a, a, so we don't want to neglect any of the word. It is the whole counsel of God. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. We want to know all, all of, um, all of who God is through the, through His Word. Some areas of Scripture are, are more clear than others. If um, you know, there, there's certain things, especially as we think about salvation, as we're um, preaching on the atonement, there's certain things, certain areas of Scripture that are going to be uh, more that makes more sense to go to them for to look at certain things. But there's also some things that are just clearer than others, as Peter talks about. Paul's writing. He says, some of Paul's writing, I just don't quite understand. He's like, those, Paul, that Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. There's, there's some things that as we go through scripture, you're like, man, that's a head scratcher. Uh, I heard a story. Uh, I like, should tell too many stories, but um, a group of the faculty at the, uh, at the seminary, at, at my se- seminary years ago, they were all, they had a practice of getting together and discussing uh, they assign a certain passage and they'd study it and they'd come together and talk about it. And the oldest and most esteemed faculty member, they kind of came to him and, and they asked, you know, what, what's your understanding of this passage? I said, I don't know. He says, I have, he says, I have preached through this passage so many times. And I honestly still don't know exactly what it means exactly. And it, you know, it's honesty. It's, there's some things that are harder, harder to understand, and we need to be humble about that. Now, there are certain things that are much more clear. The liberal mindset would say, well, all of it is hard to understand. Therefore, you kind of have your own interpretation of things, and you get to things, uh, teachings like, well, the resurrection never really happened. It's really more of a feeling of what you feel in your heart and all those things. Like, no, Scripture is quite clear. The resurrection is a fact. It happened. Um, some areas uh, we talk about, talked about deal more specifically with certain aspects of our salvation. Still, it's, it's the whole of Scripture that God reveals himself to us. It's, uh, as we'll talk about in a minute, the just out how he walks how through through redemptive history we see how he operates we can know who he is by what he does there's you you think of different times throughout kind of major movements in the story where god shows his his wrath in a kind of big way uh this is um Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, offering strange fire before God, and fire comes out and consumes them. You don't really see that happen a lot, and yet you know from the history of Israel that the priests were unfaithful quite often. Then you walk into the New Testament, and you have Ananias and Sapphira lying about what they're giving, and God strikes them dead on the spot. Well, they're not the last ones to ever lie in the church. They're not the last ones to ever lie in the Holy Spirit. But God 
God shows us in his word how he, these demonstrations of his wrath. So we can know then, as like the author of Hebrews comes and says near the end of the book, our God is a consuming fire. So we can understand, yeah, there's not, there's not an Old Testament God who's angry and wrathful and a New Testament God who's full of love and grace. The greatest demonstration of God's wrath is in the New Testament, and that's on the, at the cross. That's the greatest demonstration of God's wrath. Um, and at the same time, as I mentioned, Manasseh, the, the king in Judah, who is the main one that gets blamed for, for Judah being carried off into captivity by Babylon, keeps pointing back throughout history at Manasseh. Manasseh was, all of y'all were bad. Manasseh was really bad. I mean, this guy is sacrificing children to gods. And yet, as he was hauled off, he called out to God. And God answered him and restored him. It's, it, you can't, so you can't look at the Old Testament and say, well, there's no grace in the Old Testament. There's grace all over the pages of the Old Testament. We need a, we, we need a whole Bible uh, to make us whole believers, to help us understand who our God really is. So how does this understanding work to promote health in a church member? So just kind of walking through some of the things that the author points out. First, he says, practicing biblical theology helps us grow in our reverence for God. Just kind of talked about a little bit of that uh, as we think about his wrath, but we also, as we think about his love for us, um, as we'll get to in a minute, just thinking through God's covenants. God is faithful time and time again in his covenant promises to us. Even in the face where all of us would say, no, enough, I'm done. God's faithful time and time again. God never breaks his promises. He's faithful to his covenant promises. One of my, one of my favorite psalms is that I think Psalm 136. It's a call and response, and the repeating line is, for his steadfast love endures forever. That, that's a message of Scripture that needs to sink in, and that message of Scripture doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you know what the, the story of redemption you, you know, as you read through the whole of the Bible, that thought, whether it's printed and on the page or just understood, you realize, man, God's steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It's an amazing thing, and it ought to draw us into a deeper reverence for God. Uh, practicing biblical theology helps us to overcome our wrong ideas. Someone read Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Revelation of At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers about the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also, also created the world. The world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Having made having making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay. Now you read an opening like that, and you might think, okay, he is about to, he just said that Jesus has fulfilled it all, so it doesn't really matter anymore. But then he goes on through the rest of the book of Hebrews to explain the Old Testament and how Christ is the fulfillment of those things. And it's the beauty of that. He doesn't say neglect, neglect what came before. 
He says that sheds light on the fullness of who Christ really is. And he, and he explains who Christ is through the, through the Old Testament. And as we consider the whole of Scripture, as we think through what it says on any given topic, we allow, we allow it to wash over our minds, to uh, conform our thinking to his thinking. We allow it to, to correct the errors that we have. So we... Kind of take any topic and say, you know, you, you, we always, for the most part, we come to any topic with our preconceived ideas of what, what it means. But as we read through scripture, we allow God's word to inform, inform us. So we might say, uh, we might have certain uh, concepts of, of love or, you know, I'm think, even thinking of kind of more uh, modern day uh, issues that we might be thinking of, issues of identity. And we think through, what does scripture have to say about this? Because I, I want my mind to be conformed to what God's word says. I want, I want to be informed by what he says, not by what the culture says around me, or just more, even more often than not, just my own sinful mind. I, want, I don't want to create a God of my own imagination. I want to worship the one and true God who's revealed to us through his word. Uh, so it, as we study it, uh, it helps us to overcome our wrong ideas. Um, I want to keep moving here for the sake of time. Practicing biblical theology helps inoculate the church against doctrinal controversies. This is, uh, as Victor talked about, kind of the importance of establishing these things, that foundation, uh, that definition that uh, the, our understanding of the word brings us. This is kind of one of the main reasons we're confessional. It's, it's saying, hey, if we, if we f- treat the Bible as, as if we're the first ones to ever read it, we're going to get ourselves into a world of hurt. We want to, we want to know how, uh, we, we want to study the Word, and we want to be informed by what the church has understood about the Word throughout, throughout history. We don't want to act as, the, as though we're on an island on our own and we're the first ones to ever read scripture. We want to kind of uh, tie ourselves to a, um, a common set of beliefs. This is why, as you kind of talked about victory even in the world, you have clubs and kind of their, the, the charters and what they, they hold to as being part of this club. Well, the church, in many ways, this is why we have denominations. Sometimes we think, oh, denominations are bad things. No, it's helpful to understand this group of believers who are meeting here hold to this certain set of doctrinal beliefs. And it's not wrong or right necessarily. We don't know these things. There are some issues where some people are wrong and some people are right, and we won't know until we get to heaven. But we have certain convictions that we land on, and that helps form who we are so that uh, when we are part of part of that body, or even as someone looking uh, from the outside in, they can say, "Okay, I know that this group of believers." For I'll use us as an example, as, since we hold the London Baptist Confession, this group of believers believes this because this this is the confession that they hold to. Uh, the practice of biblical theology is necessary for fulfilling the Great Commission. Matthew twenty-eight. This is one of those, we oftentimes think of the Great Commission as only kind of, um, kind of missions work, evangelism. It's the beginning of kind of conversion for people. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So there's a holistic uh, approach in in what God, what Jesus gave in the Great Commission to his apostles and through the the church, there's a holistic view of it. It's, It's not just, it's just not, it's to think back to my old camp days, it's not just the point of filling out the decision card and dropping it in the mail. It's building up 
the believer. It's discipleship. It's teaching uh, all, all that uh, has been commanded. And the question is then, if we just kind of took those few verses from the Great Commission, well, how do we know what to teach? How do we know all that God has commanded? How, how do we know what we ought to obey and observe? Well, it's through this study of the, of the whole of Scripture. We, we need to study the whole of Scripture uh, so that we can uh, be equipped. Practicing biblical theology deepens our understanding of the gospel. Um, this is, yeah, let me go ahead and look. Someone turn to Luke 24, or actually, I think it's. <clears throat> In Luke 24 and read verses uh, 25 to 27. This is Jesus after he has raised from the dead and he's appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're having this conversation with Jesus about all that has just happened in Jerusalem. They're, they're down. They thought, Jesus, they thought Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, and yet they just saw him die on the cross. And now Jesus, after the resurrection, appears to them. He doesn't, they don't recognize him, and he has this conversation with them. So verses 25 through 27. And, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Is it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. Very good. And then in the same chapter, um, verse 44, it says, Then he said to them, this is later on, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their, their, uh, their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So you, you, we might get lost in books like Leviticus and Numbers, and we're thinking, okay, we're in Leviticus. Think, what is, what's all this animal sacrifice about? What's all these, these cleansing ceremonies about what is it all about it's all about christ and he's showing us this this picture that when we get to the crucifixion and the resurrection the newness of life with the holy spirit we start understanding oh he is the the lamb of god that has come to take away the sins of the world he cleanses us and purifies us because just like the people of israel needed to be cleansed and purified to be able to dwell in the presence of God, that's exactly what he must do to us. He atones for our sins and he cleanses us and purifies us. He sanctifies us so that when we are ushered into his presence, Revelation 21, we can dwell with him and he will dwell with us. It's the, it's the scope of redemptive history. So as we study these things, it helps us to understand Christ, it helps us understand the gospel. And it's just an interesting thought to consider that when the apostles set out on their great commission, they didn't have they you know they they didn't have the New Testament. Now they're starting to write it, starting to teach it. But what they whenever they opened the scriptures to show who God was, they opened the Old Testament. That's what they had. They had the Old Testament. This is P, um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah, and, and Philip kind of runs up alongside the, the chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading? I'm like, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. So it's the beauty of, of the whole of Scripture. Okay, um, speaking, speaking along here, how do we practice biblical theology? So first, a few things, kind of more biblical theology from a more technical sense is understanding God through the unfolding of redemptive history as given in Scripture. So we have at the very beginning of the story, 
the uh, creation and the fall. We have at the end of the story God's judgment on sin, but bringing his his people to himself, as I just said a moment ago, dwelling with him, we with him, uh, and he with us. This That's the unfolding of uh, redemptive history, and we understand it through the whole of Scripture. But there's a few other ways that we can study, the, study Scripture. One of those is systematic theology. Systematic theology is basically what the, what does, asking the question, what does the whole Bible say about this topic? So we talk, we look at the topic of atonement. And whenever someone forms a systematic theology, it's considering not, not only what does uh, the New Testament say about atonement or what does a certain book say about atonement, but what does the whole of the Bible say about the topic of atonement? So it, it's important that we that we do that. Um, this is, you know, I, you think of um, Paul and the the story with the Philippian jailer. How uh, they're freed from their chains. The do- doors are open. The Philippian jailer is about to kill himself. Paul says, "Whoa, don't do that. We're all still here." And the Philippian jailer says, "You, know, what must I do to be saved?" And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, that's a very simple statement. But it's really informed by the whole of Scripture because we can think about the demons who came to Jesus and said, we don't want anything to do with you, Son of God. And hey, he's like, shush. <laughs> but then, as James says, even the demons believe and shudder. So we have to understand, believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is more than just saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's even the demon, demons believe in church. So we, even something like that, we understand the whole of Scripture has to inform, um, inform just even simple statements. One of, the, one of the kind of more narrow ways, um, and yet I would say a vastly important way for us to understand Scripture is uh, understanding um, covenant theology, understanding how God, through the redemptive history, has used covenants with his people. Uh, argue a covenant with Adam in the garden, uh, which would be the covenant of works, covenant of grace, which we see unfold through the covenants with Noah and Moses and David, and then Jesus uh, uh, ushering in the new covenant, which is kind of brings all those together as he's the fulfillment of it. Um, for the, as we're just about to close, I just want to walk through some resources. Um, I'll make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, let me just skip right to some resources. So as we, as we're striving to be biblical theologians, as we're striving to understand God's word and wrestle through those things that are hard to understand um, and yet wanting to know who our God is. Some of the things that are helpful for us, first off, go figure the Bible. You know, I think Phoebe said last week, read, you got to be in your word, read, read the Bible. Um, we, one of the things I enjoy the most um, one of the habits I like as I read through my Bible is, and it seems to happen every time, there's certain themes that my mind really picks up on certain go-arounds go where I'm like, this passage really stands out and I start seeing that theme kind of repeated and I, I jot my own cross-references in, into my Bible. It's kind of like it's tying these things together. I enjoy that. It, it's... Um, uh, it, it kind of ties everything in. You start seeing those themes throughout. And I said, like I said, then the, the next time I read, I might something, my mind might pick something else up. Um, but you start tying these things together. So just kind of spending time in, in your Bibles, that is really helpful. Um, study Bibles. Study Bibles, for me, if you think about, you think about these books here, there's, we are so blessed at this time in history to be able to have something like a study Bible 
that has so much information about it. It's, it's God's word, but also commentary on almost every verse, uh, book introductions to help you understand how <coughs> the, the time and place that these books are written, what was going on at the time in history when these things were written, um, how it, how it uh, ties in with redemptive history. Like these, these are just a huge resource that so many that have gone before us haven't been, haven't been blessed to have. Uh, you know, it's, you, you think back to even like the Reformation and you have men having to go to uh, certain locations just to get their hands on certain materials to study. And this is, this is a, just a wealth of knowledge that we have for relatively inexpensive, especially if you get the good old hardback. Uh, a couple reform, a, a couple study Bibles that I like. Reformation Study Bible I put out by um, Ligonier Ministries. You know the Reformation Study Bible is going to be really good because it it does give everything from from more of a reformed understanding. The English uh, the ESV Study Bible for it's a bit of a mix as far as the the contributors, but for the most part is really solid and has a ton of information in it. The, e, the ESV study Bible is really good because of all that it gives you. Uh, there's a lot of information that um, uh, like Bible dictionaries would give you, a lot of just fantastic um, illustrations and maps for each thing. Uh, there, there is so much uh, in um, this study Bible. There's, there's a lot in here as well. There's fantastic articles. And the Reformation Study Bible has a number of the confessions and creeds in it. So just having a good study Bible can be really helpful, really great resource to turn to as you are struggling with a certain passage that you come to. Like, what, is this, what does this mean? Or how does this tie into this theme? Whatever it might be, these are great resources to have. Um, the Crossway... We're thinking about biblical theology. Crossway has a series of these little books. I'm not super familiar with it. This is the only one I have, but it's a series, I think maybe 12 or 15 books or so called Short Studies on Biblical Theology. And again, it's taking a certain theme and then just kind of in a short book showing you that theme throughout the scripture. So this one's the city of God. This is that movement from the God's dwelling in the Garden of Eden with man to Revelation 21 and, and working through, um, through the uh, history of redemption viewing the city of God. But there's a number, there's a number of these, uh, just a few that it shows in the back here. Uh, the Son of God, marriage, work, covenant, the kingdom of God. It looks like a great little series from... Uh, from Crossway. Then you have, as we think about um, just confessions. And our London Baptist Confession, this, this is a great book that um, I have in my office, my family has it at home, is the Creeds, Confessions, and Catechisms. And it's, it's just fantastic to read through, and it's, it helps kind of consolidate those various uh, topics of God's, of, uh, of Scripture. And so it's like with the, you know, the London Baptist Confession, as we we're, I hope, somewhat familiar with that as we've studied through that at various times, starts off with scriptures. What, what is the whole, what, of the Holy Scriptures is how it's titled. And it kind of, and it gives you succinct, um, what are the, the succinct belief of what we believe to be the Holy Scriptures. And it goes uh, through various topics of, Justification and sanctification and adoption and um, uh, the, the Son of God, his medi mediatorial work uh, toward us. So setting the confessions for, for the teachers who recently taught through some of the London Baptist Confession, there's even commentaries on the London Baptist Confession or on whatever confession you might be studying. Uh, there's commentaries out to help you understand um, kind of what it's be, what's being taught and to tie in even more scripture for that. 
There's systematic theologies. I cut my teeth on Grudem's systematic theology. My, my favorite systematic theology is Louis Burkhoff's uh, systematic theology. I, I, really, I really enjoy this one. I, I enjoy um, just picking it up and reading through sections. It's, there's a lot of, there's a number of, there's a number of very technical systematic theologies. I don't, I don't feel like this is necessarily a super technical one. Um, it feels a bit more accessible. Um, and it's, it's a fantastic systematic theology. The men, a small group of us on uh, certain Tuesday nights are going through a, a smaller version of that. that. It's Lewis Burkhoff's Manual of Christian Doctrine. So if you're looking for something that's even a little bit more accessible to kind of help you understand um, uh, kind of systematic theology and walk you through these various topics in Scripture, this is a great one. Uh, he wrote it. After he did a systematic theology, they asked him to write, uh, write one that would be accessible for like high school students. <laughs> I was like, that's probably really good for me. Um, so Manual of Christian Doctrine, I highly recommend that. High school students, how long ago? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mentioned covenant <coughs> theology and just seeing the, the importance of Covenant working through the the story of um, redemption, the uh, story of the history of redemption. Sacred bond is a really great introduction to that. Uh, it's not not a huge book, but it gives you um, just a fantastic introduction to uh, the various covenants in Scripture, how they tie together. A little bit more in-depth book on covenants is uh, O. Palmer Robertson's The Christ of the Covenants. It's not, uh, not, too, much, not too much bigger, but it's just a little bit more uh, technical for that. So a couple good resources on that. There, there really are just so many fantastic uh, and even free resources that we have these days. I mentioned you know, last week. Um, Ligonier's website. There's so much that you can pretty much search any topic and something's going to come back. Um, there's just so many resources that we have available to us these days. And like I said, at a bare minimum, even getting your hands on, on just a good study Bible can be so, so helpful um, to, to walk you through these things. So as we just wrap up healthy church members a biblical theologian just to tie that last thought in we we ought to ought to desire and long to know know who god is uh, to um, to delight in him and really to delight in him we need to know him this is you know anyone that we any any human that we have a relationship with with that we want to that we want to have that relationship with we have to know them we want to uh, talk to them we want to find out their likes and their dislikes um, just the more the more we enjoy being around someone we just kind of get to, we get to know them in those things and this is this is this is uh, really how we ought to come before God is having that desire to, to really know who he is and to delight in him, um, to, to be able to read his word and say, oh, okay, I understand as I read God's word that he delights in this. Well, if he delights in that, then I want to delight in that too. And I want, I want to obey him. I want to serve him. He hates these things. Well, why do I seem to love that thing so much? Lord, change my desires where I no longer desire to do this thing that you say you hate, but rather to uh, mortify it, to put it to death, and to be filled with your spirit and to long for the things, to, to do the things that you uh, delight in. You know, this, this, is, this is why it's important for a healthy church member to be a biblical theologian, to know, to truly know who God is. Um, and then we can uh, be even think just on the level of 
being an, an encouragement and help to one another and walking through this Christian life with one another is knowing, uh, knowing these things and knowing how we can be there to strengthen those in need and, and being strengthened um, uh, by those who uh, are there along with us. Any, any questions, comments, any, any resources that y'all have found uh, especially helpful in your walk? Something that's been helpful for me is just a yearly Bible reading plan mm-hmm. because I'm not, like if it's up to me to choose what I'm going to read that day, like I want to be in the New Testament, I'm going to be in the Psalms. Like mm-hmm. if I read the easy stuff that's sort of comforting to me that makes me feel better or maybe more directly applicable to my life. But if I want to know the whole of God's character, I'm going to have to read the mind of prophets. I'm going to have to read those slow plotting histories in the Old Testament. So having a Bible reading plan where it tells me what I'm supposed to read that day, it helps me a lot. Because I'm like, well, this is what I'm supposed to read today, so I'm just going to read it even if I don't feel like reading, you know, Leviticus or whatever it is. Yeah. That's been helpful. And I just, year after year, I just do it so that I'm, I'm in the whole Word of God over time and I can do a deep dive study here or there or read a separate book if I want to, but having to be in the whole Word of God continuously has helped me, it's helped me learn the word and be more confident about just God's character and who he is. Yeah. I, I enjoyed, uh, we were, uh, for the church, we're kind of doing that chronological Bible reading plan, and there's uh, various things about that that are, that I enjoy because it's, as you think about the minor prophets, as the author of, of our book says, Wish they wouldn't have been called the. We don't call them the minor prophets. Make them sound unimportant. Um, but he says, you know, it's. Well, as we did the chronological plan, you're you're reading through the history of the kings, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we're going to stop there and and read this minor prophet. Like, okay, that's where that ties in. It can get, give me a, bit, a little bit of better context about what that what he's prophesying, what he's what he's uh, saying to the people, um, or as you read chronologically through the New Testament and you and it harmonizes the Gospels. You read you read the different accounts all together. Like, oh, okay, it kind of gives you a little different. Like, oh, Mark said this a little bit differently here than, than what Matthew said. It's, it's not contradictory, but it's kind of giving you that fuller picture or showing you what that author is trying to really drive home as his, as his main point. Victor? Yeah, I know one of the things I... I is from leaving here, just about anything. But uh, they got a podcast where uh, R.C. Sproul is giving nuggets. They're like little five-minute things, mm-hmm. you know, and I like to set it so it just keeps going. And he can say more in five minutes than most preachers can say yeah. in long sermon. Uh-huh. And it, it just makes you think, think about things. And, and I'll even hear excerpts from the sermon. Yeah, I completely agree. You uh, you opened with uh, how we we uh, don't have a good view of God, right? Uh, so I I was very thankful for the knowledge of the holy. I mm-hmm. Or uh, yeah, got that pink. Um, I also remember the cross of the Christian ministry by Carson. Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I couldn't tell you what was the content of that book, but I remember it being very good. Maybe I should read it again. That's <laughs> uh, all I can think of right yeah. now. Yeah, there are certain books that are like focus on one. Yeah, as we think about systematic theologies, I think I think of uh, Sproul's Hol- the Holiness of God, where yeah, give it's one of those. One of those books, kind of looking at this one, one vastly important aspect of who our God is, has had a huge, a huge impact on my my thinking. Yeah, and if you don't like reading, uh, use audio books, things like that too, to listen to some of these things as you travel in cars, stuck in traffic. That's the thing. It's like again, 
the the time and place of history that we're at and just the wealth of information that we can that we have access to like you said turning on a, a youtube stream there's so much that you can listen to at, from youtube or audiobooks that you have uh, available to you there's a, there's so much that we have access to which is sometimes shames me a bit like man you know, we have sometimes we I think sometimes we just don't realize how how good we have it. Okay, well, it's ten ten, so let's go ahead and wrap up. Does someone mind closing us in prayer? Victor, Father, thanks. thank you for grace. Thank you for the word of God. Especially in these days and times when everything that the church stands for is, is under attack, both from within and without. <clears throat> we need a, a hardcore group of soldiers that will, spiritually that is, that will stand in the faith against the evils and the evil doctrines and the wickedness that are coming our way and that are here present. Strengthen our leadership. Strengthen our Needed as we look for a new shepherd. We really need someone here that can teach us, that will love us, help us to grow as a body. This area is just ripe right now with all the influx of people coming from all kinds of countries across the United States. This is make a great Jerusalem right now with the right man to lead us, with the right heart, help a body of believers, which I believe we can be. And Lord, I ask that you would use us to bring glory to your name. Bless the speaker today as he brings forth your word. Speak through him. Use his words to impact our hearts, make our hearts willing to receive the gospel, not just to 